I think you got to get over the fear of, well, that tool is too, too expensive and kind of approach it differently and stop thinking about what that tool costs in, in actual dollar amount and start thinking about what that tool might save you in time. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Ryan Cochran, co-owner of the furniture business Group Corcoran Incorporated, two-time Olympic athlete. That is not on the resume for a lot of furniture makers, but Ryan took that competitive edge that he used to excel in the world of sports and brought it to the world of furniture. His focus on hard work, attention to detail, and keeping motivated even when things get hard is what turned a novice furniture maker into the co-owner of a 15-person furniture company. Now, he's involved in importing furniture, selling slab lumber, and building custom tables, and he has his work ethic to thank for it all. Follow along as we talk about listening to your body, working smarter, not harder, why a little effort goes a long way, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Ryan's journey in his own words. When I was a kid, um, I was in Boy Scouts. My dad, uh, my dad and I uh, did a lot of camping, uh, fishing, hunting, that kind of stuff. I ended up getting into kayaking at the age of seven. Uh, I went from there. I really loved it. I enjoyed it. So I spent a lot of time on the water. I spent a lot of time around the woods and I, I kind of developed this wonderful appreciation for both at the time. A lot of the boats we, we paddled in were wooden and the paddles were as well. Obviously now everything is carbon fiber for racing at least. And um, I remember as a young boy, every once in a while we had these projects we would do or try to knock another badge off your, your scotes, uh, whatever lapel. Um, and one time my dad and I built a dog sled and it was only recently that I started to think about that. Uh, when people started asking me these types of questions, like how'd you get into it? Well, we didn't have any dog sled dogs. Um, we just built it in the basement to build it, started steam bending, did all this stuff. And we pulled it behind a snowmobile once or twice and, and kind of pulled it around the yard and used it to pull lumber, uh, firewood and stuff but we just built it so i i found this appreciation this love for building things one just to build them to see if you can do it and two for functional use too obviously you could could have been very functional we did a lot of functional things as well but moving forward i spent many years as an athlete uh, two-time olympic athlete I, I went to both the london olympics in 2012 and the Rio Olympics in 2016. I basically finished my career in 2019. Uh, we decided to try to go for another four years. Uh, as an Olympic athlete, it's always in four-year blocks. And uh, I had a lot of injuries. Uh, being an older athlete, I know it was only 35, but <laughs> uh, I basically sat on the coach after I realized that it was probably done and spent about a couple days uh, drink a beer, don't know what the heck I'm going to do, play a few video games. Well, all of a sudden this thing pops up. You can work at this place. So I applied on Facebook, never applied for a job on Facebook in my life. Guy responds quickly. I end up going down. He's like, 
when can I hire you? I was like, yesterday, if you want, you know, like I, I want to start right away. I saw all this stuff they were doing. Um, lots of live edge slabs, import of furniture and shipping and expedition. And in my mind, I'm like, this can all be better. So I, 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 I took my athlete, my, me being an athlete, and I tried to push it right into that attitude um, of make it better, make it faster, make it more efficient. And I haven't really looked back. I've kind of fallen in love with that, <laughs> to be honest. Let's get into the actual business of what you do. You left off by saying you finished your career, your your professional career, and you were on the couch and you saw a job posting for for furniture and furniture company and you you leapt up and you accepted that job and what happened from when you accepted that position to where you are now in that company when i accepted the job i decided i was going to work as much as i could so i asked the i asked the owner could i work uh, extra hours and he said yeah work as many as you want so i ended up working some days 12 10 to 12 hours almost every day five days a week and using all the extra money to buy tools because i thought well one i'm going to start my own business someday and two it's a good backup plan in case something ever happened to his business so that's the way i was thinking about that that being said he saw my absolute work ethic and my my drive to want to make everything better and he recommended that I meet somebody. That person ended up buying the business with me and a few other people due to my attitude and my work ethic. So after he had me to his place for a little kind of relaxed interview, um, he's our president. He um, immediately saw something, I guess that's what he says, and um, really loved the way I approached uh, becoming a partner with him. And that's where we are today. Uh, now I'm a partner in a furniture company after four years. I want to talk a little bit about the the structure of your company because you are an owner, but there's also other owners in your company. And so you have to work not only with employees, but also people who are on the same level as you making similar decisions to you. Right. There's always talk about how bosses are dealing with their employees, but we don't really get to talk a lot about bosses dealing with bosses, people dealing on the same level who are making the same types of decisions. So <laughs> that's true. So talk a little bit about about that structure and how you all make decisions cohesively. Well, with the way that we have things set up uh, and with the size of things, it would never work if certain people were not. We, we, we compartmentalize. That's the easiest way to say it. That being said, we are uh, very well connected. Like my partner that deals with the uh, imports uh, and the sales, I see him 25, 30 times a day. I walk by his office. My office is next to his. So we ha And we have a good relationship, which is always a very, very positive thing. The president and I uh, get along very well. Uh, so what we basically try to do is he does his job, she does her job and I do my job. And when there's crossover, we, we have a, we have a conversation about it, but for the most part, I'm the expert when it comes to the wood, he's the export when it comes to import. And then of course our president who, who deals with uh, like kind of the more 
um, macro side of the of the business. Uh, and then we have our uh, one of the other partners is, is our accountant. So and does the payrolls and things like that. And when it comes to that kind of stuff, she takes the lead on it. And we we compartmentalize that way and we come together and and put all those three strengths or four strengths, I guess, sorry, together. And if if I need to make a decision in my department, I make a decision in my department. If it's a very, very big one, then we talk about it as a team. But it's the same. I don't need to worry about what they're doing because I trust them and they do their job. You're all about efficiency of workflow, of getting things done in a way that that maximizes the output from everybody. How are you being efficient with with your customers, with your your customer responses, with reaching out, with dealing with outside of the the actual physical building? I mean, I don't really personally sell to the client. Uh, we have people that that bring the clients in for us. But that being said, I think taking I do deal with the client directly, but not on on what they're buying, more like how we can do it for them. Spend the time on the client. If the client has 15 questions, answer 15 questions, answer 16, answer 20. Just just be there, make them feel comfortable. You'll you'll be happier for the investment because that client probably is going to leave feeling more comfortable, which is which means that that client maybe won't text you 100 times or ask you 100 questions later. Uh, be efficient with the way that you you pr- propose your product. If it's a solid wood piece of furniture, explain to them that that you cannot put it next to a fireplace. You cannot you cannot leave water sitting on it, depending on the type of finish you have. If you're using a hard wax oil, you, you have to take care of it. You have to maintain it. If you're using a varnish, it's a little bit more durable, but it's the same thing. You can't use harsh chemicals to clean it. Um, I, I, I know everyone everyone's searching for that bombshell finish, that bombshell, that bomb-proof finish, but it just it, it really doesn't exist. There's always going to be something. So if you manage your clients that way, and their expectations. So managing their expectations has been probably one of the best things for man for the, for that for that side of it. But as for the efficiency side of things, doing little things and um, sometimes big things like a CNC machine. So we we started off with a woodpecker's flattening mill to to get our slabs flat. We now have a six foot by fourteen foot Avid CNC machine with an eight with the eight horsepower spindle. And that was a great investment because now that is flattening the slab while I'm I'm next to it, uh, doing something else or running the next table the uh, the, the table through the sander or um, cutting cutting a table or doing anything that's that's efficient right next to it. So that's managing the time. Uh, if you have a an active machine versus a passive machine. Uh, so for example, uh, a, a big sanding machine, obviously an active machine, a CNC machine, a very passive machine, having machines that can do things for you can help. You're always going to need people there to, to, to manage those machines. But if your business is growing faster than you can handle, that's the only way to do it. For the client side, it does seem counterproductive for you to say, answer all the questions, go through every single checklist part that you can with that client explaining every single part of it. It seems like that on the face of it would be taking more of your time. But in truth, if you do explain everything from the start and you and the client are 
on the same exact page, then there isn't going to be that that question, answer, question, answer back and forth throughout the entire process. There's going to be that right. that trust from the client to let you do what you need to do. So you put those building blocks in place at the start. You put that trust in place. You put that understanding in place from the start. Right. And that's your initial upfront investment of time. And then you don't have to do it during the build process, during the finished process. And then you just have to contact them when it's done. So I hear you on that. That's exactly it. Imagine like when you're when you're filming some of your, your content uh, or you're trying to film a project that you're doing because you want to try to make a video or or you're you're distracted easily on a project because somebody's texting you. Well, all of those things are, are that distraction. So if you manage the client in advance, then you don't have that. That's one less distraction. And the worst thing you can do for workflow is break it every 20, 15, 30 minutes. In my personal opinion, a good workflow is almost like two and a half to three hours straight, then you break, then again, you're going to be efficient and you can probably finish your day a whole lot faster by doing bigger blocks, but managing what you're doing. Obviously, if it's extremely physical and you need to take a little sit down, that's one thing, but uh, you, know, you know that you have to go through through the different grits of sanding. Well, if you stop on your 80 grit, halfway through every, every, every grit on halfway through the table, you're going to forget where you're at sometimes. Then you're probably going to miss some swirl marks that you're going to have to go back and clean up after. So it's always easier to invest your time upfront for, for a better return uh, in the end. And that's, a, that's no different than anything. And that goes back to like, like we said, the, the client. Um, and it also goes back to taking responsibility, take, take better responsibility for, for your actions and what you're doing. And, and you're going to be more efficient on the backside of it every time. Efficiency, as we've talked about is a, a main main point for your business and how your business is progressing. And yes, you you put a lot of stake in the people who are working there and your employees, but some people can have a bad day. Some people can have a slow day. You want everybody to have an amazing day all the time, but we're all human and we can't always do that. And that's something that a, a boss and an owner has to know. But there is a way that you can up efficiency, even if somebody's having a bad day, and that's with automation, automated tools in your shop. And I have to imagine that as as your business has grown over the years, you've invested more and more into automation and, and larger tools. How do you decide when's the best time to advance the machinery in your shop? And how do you incorporate new machines into your workflow? Bottlenecks, that's the number one thing. If you if you if you find yourself at a bottleneck, you need to um, move that bottleneck further down the line. So that's the first that's the first indicator that you need to invest in a piece of machinery. And secondly, when your body or your employees' bodies start breaking down. So I'll give you two examples. One, we were not we had a woodpecker's flattening mill. We were not flattening quick enough. Upgrade to a CNC machine. It did it three, four times faster. But the other thing it also did was it, it saved people from pushing that thing across by themselves. So it took another person off of that task and put them onto another one. So now that, that, that task is being done by machine at all the time. Secondly, sanding, rough stage sanding. We have festival sanders. I only have festival sanders. 
They are good sanders. They are quality sanders. There's very low vibration, but it's still hard on the elbows and the shoulders and the hands. So we bought a 51-inch wide belt sander. It increased the workflow by almost triple and reduced a lot of that rough sanding, especially on epoxy tables and, and kind of getting all those little imperfections out right off the bat. So now they're starting at 80 to 120 grit instead of starting at 40 and, and trying to flatten and work the wood with a sander. Those are the two biggest changes we've made. We're making more uh, moving down the road. Um, more now, it's like micro changes instead of macro changes. So a little, how do we increase and save five minutes on that task that we do every single day so that over the year it's more? But those big changes, they, they, they're scarier. Obviously, you know, these are big investments on machines, but they can they can make the biggest, biggest difference in your business. And the other thing that it can do that people don't really think about, they're like, well, I'm not going to invest $40,000 in a sander. I just don't have that much money. But maybe you just need more time to increase your business. That would allow it. If, if, you're, if you're reducing your sanding time by triple, uh, there's a reason they call them time savers. You know, It gives you the time to focus on other things. You have to let the business dictate where your tool budget goes, where your business is going to. And that is the key to good purchases, to quality purchases that are going to push you forward. We did jump to that big tool. But that being said, that was a that was a decision we needed to make on on at that moment. We didn't buy the most expensive sander on the market. Um, but like today, I said, I, I, I was adjusting something with a hand plane. It can be done. Um, like a, like a hand tool. I was adjusting it with a hand tool. Uh, yes, I could have used an electric plane, but I did need some finesse. Every tool in your shop is usable and useful, and you can probably do everything with, with less tools. I've done some amazing projects with, with, with just a flattening mill that was all by hand and a track salt and a sander, and that's literally it. Um, and, and amazing, amazing epoxy tables with that. That's all you need. But it's the investment on time. That's the biggest thing. So you kind of have to you have to take it with a grain of salt a little bit and and, and kind of see what's what's your personal need and and I think you got to get over the fear of well that tool is too, too expensive and kind of approach it differently and stop thinking about what that tool costs in in actual dollar amount and start thinking about what that tool might save you in time. You let your business dictate what you need and you let your body, as you mentioned before, dictate sometimes what you need as well. It can't always be decisions made with the head. It sometimes has to be ones made with the heart. I know I contradicted myself a few times there when I talked about numbers and, and stuff like that, but I wanted to be I want to be clear just really quickly that that the numbers that I was talking about were not necessarily financial numbers. And I think that that people have to understand that that I, I mean, I work, I work 50 hour weeks sometimes and, and, and sometimes more, you know, um, and then I come home and I work some more in my personal shop, but it's, it's really about what's important. And the one thing that we can get more of, we can get more money. You can always get more money. You, you can always get more wood. It's there. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. You can always get more building supplies, products. You can get more of a lot of things, but you cannot get more time. And if you start approaching your business as time being one of your most important commodities and really think about that. And like I said, it can be little things that don't, don't necessarily stand out. And that's why you have to talk to people talking to the client previously and managing the way that the client's expectations are for the future. 
that's less time that you, you, you don't see it. It's not really like a, a thing that you can touch, grab and feel, but it's something that will just not be there, which means that it's not there. And if it's not there and it's a negative thing and going to take energy out of your day, not only is it going to take energy out of your business, it's going to take energy out of your personal life with your kids, your family, your significant other, whatever, your dog. Um, and, 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 you know, those things are really important. They help you balance. So the next day when you go back to your business, that, that you're feeling good and you're happy and you're, and you're ready to go. If you are, are, are not able to do those things, everything is going to start breaking down. Your story is a, a perfect example of how there's so many different ways not only to get into the furniture industry, but also to be in the furniture industry. You were an athlete, a competitive athlete, and now you are building tables. You wanted to have a furniture company and you ended up becoming an owner of the furniture company that you were working at. There's so many different ways that people can be involved in this industry. And you're a perfect example of, of showing that, of showing that you don't have to follow a cookie cutter roadmap to get to your dreams if your dreams are being in the furniture industry. So your story is a real eye-opening experience for a lot of people out there who might be thinking, my background doesn't equate to having a furniture company or my goals don't equate to having a furniture company the way I think of it in my head. There's no right way to do it. It's just the way you do it. And so with that in mind, for people who are trying to start a company and also for people who already do have a company, what's some advice that you could share from your journey so far for a successful company, not only business-wise, but also on the personal level? There's been one thing I've done in my entire life, and that has not changed and that will not change. And that is the reason for my success. I have constantly, over and over again, put myself in a position to receive luck. I'm sorry if you were expecting a really, really like complicated answer. It's not. It's it's that simple. Put yourself in a position to receive luck. I've in my entire life I've gotten almost everything I've ever wanted to at least a certain degree. Yes, I want way more from life than I've got in life right now, but I'm gonna do my best to get there. I constantly make sure that, and and that's simple. Like, okay, if this this task just requires a lot of hard work, work really, really hard. You might you might end up with more than you ever expected out of that. My five year plan ended up becoming a six month plan. I got I got there in six months. I didn't expect to, but I worked hard and I got there in six months. So then I went, okay, what's my next five year plan or what's my next four year plan? What's my next two month plan? Plan it out. Make make a plan for it. Um, and, and that's part of putting yourself in a position to receive luck. There's a lot a lot that can can be decomposed packed it out of that 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 statement but plan make a plan and it, deviate if you have to but make a plan um work hard be a good person talk with other people don't worry about competition competition for healthy competition competition for competition's sake is not necessarily the right way to approach it um i think competition 
is extremely important, obviously, um, but doing it the right way. Uh, bring everybody with you. Take everyone up. Don't push anyone down. It's super, super easy. Those are all going to be key factors in you receiving a luckier, uh, being and put yourself in a, in a situation that, that could potentially put you in a higher, I don't, know, I don't want to say category, but uh, a, a better a better station. You're going to improve your station if you do those types of things. It's as simple as that. Chat to the person next to you. Maybe that person next to you is looking for an extremely expensive piece of furniture and you might be the person to make it. Don't flip the bird on the guy that's driving down the road next to you because he kind of cuts you off, even though you might really want to, because that guy might be driving to your business to buy something from you. And maybe he's going to see you and go, nope, not, not now. You know, just always think it through. Wise, wise words. And I want to thank you for, for sharing them and for sharing the rest of your story and giving us a look into your business and how you got there and where you're going to go with it. So thank you so much for your time. I truly do appreciate it. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.